Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. Today we want to talk about the very fierce battle that rages over the heart of God. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26 verse 1 to 16. Matthew 26 verse 1 to 16. Let us pray. Father, speak to us your truths once again, that these truths of yours may sink into our hearts and our minds and change us from the inside. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 26 verse 1 to 16. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Do not, do n- but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The parable that I read yesterday about the sheep and the goats is at the heart of the gospel. You might say that it is the most important truth in the Bible. Why do I say that? First of all, because it is the climax of all that Jesus had taught. Jesus' teachings, if you trace them, had hints of God's love for the poor. But in this passage about the goats and the sheep, Jesus was so explicit about what the judgment was to be. He spoke of the final day when Jesus would be the king seated at his throne. Nowhere else has he talked about this, about him being the king, the one who will judge. And Jesus was dead serious about judgment. And then he told about how he would divide the people into two categories. Those who had shown kindness to the poor and the hungry and the marginalized and those who had refused to do so. In this passage then there was clear sense of judgment, no longer a parable that can be, that can be interpreted uh, ambiguously in various ways. But here Jesus was making it so clear, crystal clear, explicit, that there will be a judgment and this is how the world will be judged. Do you care for the poor, for the hungry, for the marginalized? If you do, there is salvation. There is heaven. If you don't, there is condemnation. 
And this teaching has faced much has brought much confusion, has faced much opposition, and it's almost as though this is a truth that is the center at the center of spiritual warfare. We then see three stories in this passage that we are reading now. First story is about Jesus saying that he would the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified, and then about how the chief priests and elders plotted with the high priest to kill Jesus. The second story is about a woman who anointed Jesus' head with very expensive perfume and how the disciples judged her harshly. And the third then is about Judas Iscariot um, deciding to betray Jesus and asking for money from the authorities. Each of these three stories tells something about the response, the possible abuse of Jesus, the heart of the gospel, Jesus' love, Jesus' heart for the lost, for the poor, and for the marginalized. First then, we look at the first story about the plot to, to kill Jesus. It was as though Jesus had, this was the last straw, Jesus had finally said the thing that the chief priests and elders could no longer tolerate. Before that, we read about them being angry, being wanting to plot, but no real plots. But here, at this point, after Jesus' last speech, they took action. They really went into it to kill Jesus. Why? Because Jesus took away their false sense of security. They had always believed that they were Jews and therefore that they were the chosen ones, that they had salvation because of their birth, because of what they belonged to, because of the institutions of Judaism. They could hide under all of these structures, all the institutions, and they thought they were safe. In Jesus' final story, the teaching on judgment, he tore down all the structures, all the institutions, and said there remains only one distinguishing fact. Were you compassionate? Or were you not compassionate? That was the line. No longer could the, the chief priests and the teachers cling on to legalities and structures for their protection. And they knew that Jesus had hit the nail on the head. He had drawn that red line. This is it. And in drawing that line, he had indicted the chief priests and the elders. They were not saved because of their status. They were not saved because of their profession. They were not saved because of Judaism. And this was something they could not accept or tolerate. And so they finally sought to kill Jesus. Christianity continues to do what the Jews, the chief priests have been doing, had done to Jesus. If you look at the history of Christianity, Again and again we deny this very truth that the heart of Jesus is for the poor and for the marginalized. Crusades, supremacy, again and again we talk about the glory of, the Christ, of Christianity, of the wealth of Christianity. Even today, prosperity gospel is celebrated. Even today we may, may frown at various sins, at morality, at homosexuality, at a whole lot of things. But so often, 
we fail to see that at the heart of the gospel is our heart for the poor and the marginalized. Even those who are criticized, who are, who are espousing morality and strict morality often do not hardly ever talk about compassion for the poor and the marginalized. That is a subject that we don't want to talk about, that we turn the focus of Christianity to morality. We fail to see that at the heart of it all is Christ and God's heart for the poor. Like the chief priests and the elders, structures of Christianity seek to hide, to obscure, to ignore this truth of Christianity. We even create theologies like once saved, always saved, that you receive, you, you say the sinner's prayer, or you receive Christ and you have immediate access to heaven. None of this is exactly altogether false, and yet it is very deceptive. And it's interesting that Jesus talks about the Passover, that he would go to the Passover. You see, the Passover was a remembrance of how the blood of sheep allowed sinful Jews, sinful Hebrews, to escape death from the, the grim reaper, from the, from the angel of death. Likewise, Jesus knows that all of us have failed. All of us have failed to acknowledge that the heart of the gospel is God's love for the poor. And we need forgiveness. But forgiveness isn't something that is blithe, something that is superficial. It's not about having a formula that says, God, I'm sorry, and then we go on living. In fact, the Bible teaches us again and again that we must bear fruit befitting of our repentance, meaning that our repentance must be real. Our repentance from our disregard for the poor must be real. It must cry out from our hearts, God have mercy on me. You know, in the Holy Communion that we say each, each Sunday as we take Holy Communion, the prayer of confession goes like this. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbours. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. That is why we need to come and take communion as often as we can to acknowledge our sinfulness, our failure to hear the cry of the needy, our failure to love our neighbours as ourselves. God sets, draws the line. And He wants us to acknowledge that there is a line for judgment. He does not expect perfection from us. He doesn't expect that we give our entire lives. He does actually. Those are the law rules. But He also knows that we fall short all the time. But what God looks out for is repentance and a heart that is ready to turn away from our indifference to the poor and to cry out to God to have mercy because we take this line that God has drawn very seriously. And so the Passover is God's provision for our sinfulness. But it's not something that we should take for granted and just say, well, yeah, let's just take it with no intention to change. There must be a heartfelt realisation of our sinfulness, of our failure to look, to hear the cries of the needy and the plea 
to God for mercy, but also a cry to God to change our hearts day by day. God forgives, but He wants to see repentance in us. And as we see in the behavior, the conduct of the chief priests and the elders, they will again try and try to minimize this heart of the gospel. The second thing that arises though, it's just the opposite. It is about legalism about the poor. The disciples were very, very confused. At one moment, Jesus was drawing the line and saying, this is the criterion for judgment. Did you or did, were you or were you not compassionate towards the needy? And so they thought that everything centered around the needy. And that, to some extent, is true. And so when this woman came to Jesus with a very expensive bottle of, bottle of very expensive perfume and poured it over Jesus' head, they were confused and they were scandalized. Didn't our master just teach us that the one important thing about the gospel is that we love the needy? And here is this woman wasting a whole bottle of expensive perfume and pouring it out on Jesus. And they judged her roughly. They were indignant with her. And Jesus said to them, Leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with me, but you will not always have me. In saying this, Jesus was saying that the poor will always, the problem of poverty and hunger will always be there. But you need to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord in charge of this. Several consequences to this teaching. First of all, we sometimes move to the extreme of wanting to eradicate hunger. I think what Jesus is saying too is that hunger cannot, world hunger cannot be eradicated hard as we try because it is a consequence of sin. It is a consequence of our selfishness, of our wickedness, of our greed. And world hunger can never be removed. There have been billionaires who have done it. There have been many people who have talked about if we were to tax the billionaires of the world, we could feed the world. What we fail to realize is that world hunger has to do with sin and greed that cannot be eradicated. And therefore, when we try hard, harder and harder, we only frustrate ourselves. The focus is not to, to eradicate hunger or to just use ourselves to feed the poor. The focus is on our devotion to the God who loves the poor more than anything else. Jesus loved the poor, but he wanted his disciples to recognize too that their service to the poor had to come from their devotion to him, without which it would be hardness of hearts. They would be fighting, they would be judging each other, they would be merciless to each other as they seek to help the poor. We see this in communism, that it is a brutal system that, that kills those who do not conform, forces persons on threat of death or on penalties of any kind that the poor may be fed. It is not an answer to poverty either. And so for our church then, 
We need to care for the poor, but never to judge the rich. Rather, we care for the poor as an expression of our devotion to Jesus. It starts with our love for Jesus. One cannot love Jesus and say, I hate my brother, as John says. You cannot say, I love Jesus and ignore the poor. Your love for Jesus will result in you loving the poor. But neither can you devote your life to helping the poor without your love for the God who cares for the poor. We need to avoid these two extremes then. One of ignoring the poor altogether. The other of working judgmentally and legalistically to ensure that world hunger will be eradicated. The only way we can do it is to love God and to turn to God in prayer, in supplication, with tears, and ask God, God, you are the God of the poor. You are the God whose heart is for the poor. Then lead us one step at a time to minister to these who are most important to you. The third battle then has to do with greed in the process of helping the poor. Judas's chariot was indignant that the money was used, or he pretended to be indignant that the money was not used to feed the poor. In the Gospel of John, though, God, John gives an insight that Judas, his chariot, was actually the treasurer and he held the purse. And he often took money from the purse for his own benefit. And so when he saw that Jesus wasn't strict or legalistic about keeping all the money for the poor and perhaps for him to steal, he decided that he needed to profit in some other way and so he went to plotted to betray Jesus for a sum of money. One of the realities that I've realized is that when money comes in to help the poor, those who hold the purses become very, very vulnerable. We see this again and again in movements, in churches, in organizations, where we begin by caring for the poor and then we get more money and we decide that maybe our organization needs some furnishing, better furnishing. Sometimes we go for gold taps and gold toilets too. And that's a common temptation and a common reason for fa- cause of failure. That is, we work for the poor, we gather more and more money, and then we abuse the money. While pastoring at Barker, I also made it part of my pastime to look at organizations to see which ones would be good to support because they really help the poor. One of the things I discovered was that it's extremely hard to find charities that really care for the poor. I do not generalize. I have not searched for many. I've searched for several, looked at several. And often I found that there is no strong safeguards for using the money for the poor and for not using money for our own benefits. And I say this not to judge the the bosses of these organizations or churches. I say this as a warning to all of us as well. That even as people give generously to help the poor, our hearts must always be with Jesus and to use these funds honestly. 
Of course, we will also need to set up safeguards and um, checks and balances to ensure that money that is given for the poor is spent for the poor. It is a warning for all of us in ministry. And it's not just about wealth, it's also about vanity, it's also about praise of men. That even as we work to serve the poor, often as our ministries expand, vanity comes to mind, um, ambition, selfish ambitions, um, pride comes to us. And we need to be very careful of this. And so it comes back to adore our devotion to Christ as the Lord who cares for the poor, as the motivation for our helping the poor. In many ways, the heart of the gospel, God's love for the poor and the needy, is the heart of the battle of the spiritual warfare between God and the devil. And in many, many ways, the evil one will fight to turn our attention away from serving the needy out of our love for Christ and to make it a caricature of something else. Let us pray. Father, speak to us of your love for the needy. Keep speaking to us that we may see where we are and where we ought to be. That we may come to you pleading for mercy because we have failed miserably. And when receiving mercy from you, we may also ask that our eyes be healed, that we may see with proper sight your love for the poor, your truth, your love for the needy at the heart of the gospel. And so, Father, we ask too that you keep us from the many abuses that could happen, the legalism, the abuse of money for the poor, the pride and the vanity, or even just ignoring the poor altogether. But keep us, keep our eyes fixed on you, and we, that we may continue to serve and to turn our attention to those whom you love so much. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, this is Friday. Uh, once again, I encourage you, invite you to come for service. The main draw, if you will say, for this service is a time of Holy Communion where we take seriously God's commands, God's standards, as we look at our lives and acknowledge our sinfulness and then come to the table to receive mercy and grace and the transformation of our hearts. This is something you can't do sitting back home uh, watching the TV, but this is something that's really necessary. Of course, for those of you who really cannot come to church for various reasons, please call the church office. I'd love to visit each of you individually and serve communion to you. So if you are not able to come because of illness, because of age, don't beat yourself about it. Give us a call. Um, 
call either the office or call me directly. My handphone number is on the website. And I will come, we will come to bring communion to you. But for all others, do come to church that we may worship together and have communion together. Thank you and God bless you all. Goodbye.